When it comes to stories that take you on a bit of a roller coaster journey, this episode in Joseph's life, I think, certainly does that. It's, it's a classic success story. Young boy from the slums makes it big in the ranks of an organization which is part of a very great world power. It's the story where we're introduced to Joseph as a young boy, most likely a teenager, being brought up in his homeland, a place called Canaan, surrounded by his father's favored love. Unfortunately, it's followed by Joseph's own unconstrained boast of his outlandish dreams to his family. This results in jealousy, bitterness and anger by his brothers, which finally concludes with a plot by them to kill him. Yet mercifully, his life is spared. But he's then sold into slavery. Joseph is taken down into Egypt and is sold again to Pharaoh's captain of the guard, a man named Potiphar. We're told in this story that whilst Joseph is with Potiphar, he and the entire household prospers. Joseph rises up the ranks of household responsibility to the point of becoming Potiphar's attendant. It's it's a little bit like, not his apprentice, but almost to the position of Alan Sugar's personal assistant. By verse 6, we see just how huge the responsibility Joseph had and the trust he'd been given from Pharaoh's very own captain of the guard. If more resources needed to be had, or servants, or equipment, Joseph sorted it out. If there were problems with staff disputes or issues that crept up in the surrounding land and property that belonged to Potiphar, it was left to Joseph. Any PA work or official visits would be administered and organised by Joseph. And verse 6 says he, Potiphar, left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Was there something special or significant about Potiphar's diet that he needed to keep a close eye on it? I don't know. But the point is the trust Potiphar had in Joseph was great. To the extent that Potiphar needed only to care about his military duties. So there you have it. The success story of the region. A boy who, despite the odds, works his way to the top. From rags to riches, from servant to the running of an entire household of a military leader. A story of humble beginnings that Richard Branson, Alan Sugar, Charlie Chaplin would relate to and resonate with. A story of a man that used shrewdness and wisdom and business so well that Warren Buffett would be unable not to take notice. All wanting to pat this kid on the back and say, well done. The issue is though, and some of you, especially if you're in positions of high responsibility and status, could relate to is that when you do reach to the top of your game, it doesn't necessarily get easier. If you've made it to the high ranks of anything, it's not always about how to take the next step up, but actually how not to fall from it. And we see it all the time, countless stories over and over again of people who have worked from the bottom, making it to the top only to slip into some form of scandal because they got greedy and thought no one would ever find out. And it hits the tabloids and their reputation is ripped to shreds by the media. The difference we have in this story is that Joseph 
who has to suffer the ordeal of being rejected and sold into slavery by his brothers at the beginning, who eventually, on getting to a position of great trust and respect, is then convicted of a crime he didn't commit, finds himself on a sex offence register, and ends up in a situation worse off than before. Prison. All because the lady cried wolf. The success story that falls apart. And he's innocent. There are people who have strived to please the Lord in their lives only to be falsely accused or subjected to abuse because of choosing to live all for Jesus. And if that's you, you know exactly the pain that Joseph would have experienced. This is what he gets for his integrity. Prison cell. You see, despite his position of being a slave and having a very tempting offer to shack up with quite possibly the hottest woman in the neighborhood, he wasn't stupid. He wasn't going to mess with fire. Verse 12 says he fled. Despite what he could have been offered by her, Joseph was far more concerned for his purity than anything else. He had the perspective to name it for what it was, sin, a wicked thing against God. He doesn't go back for his cloak, he doesn't risk it, even though he probably knows she could use that against him. He knew not to hang around. Yes, he could have gone back for it, but the possibility to succumb to an overwhelming sexual passion and give in could be very likely. Joseph was more concerned for his purity than anything else. And I don't think it's not unfair to think Joseph was probably really tempted. He was a slave after all, and what possibility did he have of getting married? It would have met a physical need at least, and who knows what favours she could have given him further down the line. But Joseph thought differently. He resisted temptation because he had a different perspective. This passage shows us two truths that protect Joseph's mind in that moment. He says... How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? First, he calls it a wicked thing, because that's what God calls it. Joseph didn't have the law like we know, but he knew what sin was and it's evil. The second thing he says is, how could I against God? It's God's heart he cares about first and knows that sin is a rebellion against God and his rule, missing the mark. Not only did Joseph want to protect his purity regardless of the prospects, but it's very clear that with all he went through before this chapter and beyond, that he really had a trust and love for the Lord. Those two things enable Joseph to resist temptation. He knew the evil of sin, and he had a love for God. An obvious and clear application from this passage is that if we are facing any kind of temptation at the moment in the workplace, then call it sin. Avoid it, resist it, and in some cases, like Joseph's choice here, in the story, we run from it. And I think it's fair to say when it comes to specifically sexual temptation, part of this is really to do with how we're protecting our minds. If our minds are regularly secretly meditating on sexual impurity or the overwhelming desire of a relationship that we know we shouldn't pursue, then when given the opportunity, how likely 
are we to be able to run from it when an offer is actually right there in front of us? But there's another underlying narrative in the story. If we look at this situation in regards to what happened to Joseph, it's absolutely tragic. Yeah, a a hard-working man, he's been human-trafficked into a foreign country, no passport, no nothing, works his way to the top, only to be accused and convicted of a crime he didn't commit. It's gutting. Her pleasure, his downfall. And I'm angry when I read this passage because of what she did. Changing the truth so that she came out okay. The underlying narrative here is the evil act of someone in power taking something from someone without, for their own benefit. This is an injustice that all peoples have experienced in our world throughout history and specifically with recent events leading to the outcry that's happening on our streets in the last week. But in this passage, it's a woman prepared to do anything to get what she wanted, even if it meant someone else losing everything. She treats Joseph like a commodity and strips him of humanity. And that's not okay. It's an awful thing to do to someone. It's not right. And they shouldn't get away with it. Someone perverted, manipulative and evil. And yet, the scary thing is, when I look at this passage, I'm confronted with the realization that I have more in common with her nature than I'd like to think. Actually, the Bible says that we all have more in common with Potiphar's wife than we'd like to think. And I'm not assuming you've necessarily tried it on with your colleague. But Jesus says in Mark 7, 21 to 23, that it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You might not think you're anything like Potiphar's wife, or have done anything like what she may have done. But can you honestly say you've never twisted the truth in such a way that everything works out for you? Or that you were so desperate to get a certain result in your work or in some other context that you were prepared to do anything, even if it meant someone else had to suffer. Maybe they deserved it, you didn't like them. They were irritating or an unpleasant individual generally. In one sense, it doesn't matter. We're taught here from Jesus' words in the book of Mark that deep inside, just like Potiphar's wife, we have the inherent nature to do the same thing to someone else and do whatever we can to get away with it. If you look at the life of Joseph and his integrity, trusting God with all his heart, and think, actually, I'm very far from being like that. Well, actually, I certainly relate to that. In fact, when I read this passage, I'm uncomfortable. I feel inadequate because it makes me ask the question, would I do the same thing as Joseph or would I give in? 
Joseph is a fine example of an upright man who knew the consequence of what could happen and fled the temptation. But this story also gives us an opportunity and freedom to see who we really are and what we're potentially capable of doing. And if that's the case, then what's the solution? Well, Joseph, our hero, the boy who makes big, inspiring as he was, is really a signpost for us to someone far greater. The one who really was the criminal, who really did wrong, got off scot-free, whilst the one who was innocent gets the punishment. Hundreds of years later, the exact same thing happened. Jesus Christ, who had done nothing wrong, gets nailed to a cross. But this time, it was for us. It was the punishment we should have got because of those things that Jesus points out in Mark 7 that dwell within our own heart. All because of sin, which is our rejection of God's rule in our lives. We miss the mark. Unlike Joseph, who was shown mercy and grace whilst imprisoned by God the Father, Jesus Christ lost everything was shown no mercy and was utterly forsaken by his father so that we could go scot-free and not face the punishment that we deserve. If we can look at the character of Potiphar's wife and the evil she did and be angry by the injustice of it, but also see ourselves and what we're capable of doing or have done to others, How can this not stir us to rejoice and be overwhelmed with praise to the same God who gives us this salvation, which we don't deserve? Whatever you've done in the past, whether you gave in to temptation or were responsible for someone else's unjust suffering, we can confess it and take it to the cross where there is forgiveness because the blood that Christ shed will cover it completely. How do we nurture our love for God and hatred of sin, like Joseph, to say no to temptation? It's the cross that Jesus was hung on that shows us how much God hates our wrongdoing, our sin, and how it needs to be dealt with. But it's also the same cross that shows us how far God has gone to rescue us from the ultimate consequences of our sin.